Okay, so I need you to bring the lights up a minute because I need to know some, a couple of things. I want to know who's here that usually comes to Remix. Would you stand up and let us recognize you? If, if you're from the Remix 430 yeah, Sunday night service, you want to stand up? And then and, uh, we want to just greet you to say, hey, thank you for joining into this. All right. Good job. How about from uh, the 815? Did anybody here show up, wait for 815 to show up? Well, you better stand up and let us see you. Come on, if you're part of the 815 congregation. All right. All right, did anybody stick around from 9.30? All right, I told them if they wanted to hear some great Christmas music to stick around, that's good. How about from uh, San Juan? Anybody here from San Juan? Would you stand up and let us see you? Come on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I think those people walk on water. You know, they have been generous. We've, we've shared together. We have a beautiful love relationship going. We're going to have them up here today and then later. I hope it's next month. We're all going to move down there and let them get after the construction around here. So... We've been working uh, towards that regard and uh, have a lot of positive things going, but there's a, it's a complicated process. So we're going to just stay patient, keep serving the Lord, and we'll keep you posted. Would you take this little card, please, and look at the back? I want to update some numbers. If you're a numbers kind of guy or girl, then get out a pen or pencil because I'm going to give these to you once so you get to write them down. I'm not going to repeat them over and over. You can say that again. Okay, so... Last week, these were in the bulletin as well, and so I wanted to give you a little progress. Um, the actual received, of course, has gone up, and our budget has stayed the same. So that number is the same, and so what it's saying is at the six-month mark for us, because our year starts in July, at the end of December, we need to have collected or expect to have collected another 202000 But just since this went to print, other offerings have come in. It's been a great week for offerings. And uh, so the, the right number that we need to collect between now and the end of the year is, ready to write, 130525 So $130,000, $525 between now and the end of the year. So that's uh, doable. It's within reach, and uh, we praise God for that. And um, people generally come in all during the last week and, and give gifts. So if you're going to give a gift for 2016, you're supposed to do it in 2016. All right, so Saturday night is the last of 2016. So come in during this week if you want. And if not, slide it under the door. Okay, then when it comes to pledges, I have some good news. Now, on the left side, if you want to write this number down, was in the bulletin last week. Of the $1.8 that people pledged during this year to give, Last year, last week, we said we still needed to collect 864161. But you can see that that dropped to 228007 during this week. We had offering every day, by the way. And actually, it's dropped further than that. So to, it's dropped to 119698. So it's down to needing $119,000 to be at 100% of what people have promised. So if you haven't had a chance to give your gift yet, please give it to that because we, we, this is exciting. It's moving the right direction, and we see God in this, and um, we just say thank God for it. Well, we knew that that is worth praising the Lord, huh? All right? So we knew that there would be kids in this service, so we've taken the message and we've uh, cut it into three pieces. So I'm going to have three little, little sections for you today. And the first one is going to be from Matthew chapter 2. And that's so you could turn there with me. Matthew chapter 2, that's the story, of course, the wise men came following a star. They had seen his star in the east, and they've come to worship him. They got on their camels in Persia and uh, began to ride. It was about 1,000 miles. They were coming to look. They got to Jerusalem. They didn't know where to go, so they... Um, 
went and asked King Herod. And they, that irritated him, so he got everybody else all, uh, all worked up and uh, asked them, where is this Savior supposed to be born? And they knew from looking in the Scripture that it would be the book of, uh, or, uh, the, in Bethlehem. It's found in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And so they directed him, go to Bethlehem, which was only five or six miles from Jerusalem. None of the Bible scholars that knew the answer to that even wanted to go to check it out. They weren't even curious. But it says in Matthew 9, chapter 2, verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, which that's kind of like times four, isn't it? They rejoiced. They rejoiced exceedingly. They rejoiced with joy. That was great. You know what I'm saying? They, they, just, they couldn't say it enough how excited they were. And going into the house, they saw the child with his Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we've been looking over the last few weeks that Jesus fulfills all of the roles in, that God gave for leaders in the Old Testament of prophet, priest, and king. And he's even one better than that. And that's what we're talking about today. And he was the best prophet of all because the prophet's job was to deliver God's word to the people. And Jesus not only delivered God's word to the people, Jesus is the word of God. And then he, as far as the priest, he was the best high priest of all because he not only provided the best sacrifice to atone for sin, Jesus is the sacrifice that atoned for sin. So the wise men brought this gift to Jesus of frankincense, which frankincense was used only in the temple. And when you burned it, it had this beautiful smell. Uh, and uh, it was the smell of prayer, the smell of worship. And so then you also see that Jesus, we talked last week, Jesus is the best king of all. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He gives leadership and guidance and judgments and um, decides who's going to be invited into heaven. And he's called the king of kings and lord of lords. And the wise men brought a gift of gold, which gold is the kind of gift that you'd give to a king. So besides gold and frankincense, they brought this gift of myrrh. Have you ever gotten myrrh for a Christmas present? You ever given myrrh for a Christmas present? Do you even know what it is? I mean, without the wise men, I don't think I would know what it is. Myrrh is, was, had exceptional value. In fact, it was sold ounce for ounce about five times the price of gold. So if, if it was equal measure, Jesus' uh, most valuable gift then would have been the myrrh. And it's actually the sap from a tree. It has a scientific name, but I didn't practice saying it. And it grows in Somalia and the parts of Ethiopia. And even to this day, it's used in perfume and in toothpaste and in lotions and other cosmetic pro uh, uh, products. You might have some on today and didn't even know it. And um, it is said to have healing uh, uh, qualities as well as anesthetic qualities. So in the Bible, there are several uses that are listed for myrrh. Um, uh, one would be um, anointing. They used it, and you can read this in Exodus chapter 30, but God directed Moses to have them use myrrh to anoint just about everything they considered sacred. They anointed the, the place that they would meet. They anointed the furniture. They anointed the lamps, the, the altars, the chairs, the utensils, the basins. They even put some on the priests. And so this, this was a sacred anointing oil that was used to consecrate all the parts of the temple and the priests, the kings, and even the weapons of war. I mean, anointing represented dedicating it to God. You say, God, this belongs to you, and asking for God's favor. So anointing was number one. Number two is perfume. 
there is a racy little book in the Bible, love story, called the Song of Solomon. And I haven't preached from it often, and wouldn't certainly today. Uh, but um, myrrh is mentioned seven times in this little book as a perfume that would make a lover smell good. And um, in fact, in uh, chapter three, uh, the woman in this story says, who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchants? I mean, she must see his chariot coming at a furious pace. He's coming for a date, you know, and so she can hardly wait. And um, she's sure that he has some myrrh on and she already talks about that she does as well. So anointing or perfume, another is a narcotic. They found that myrrh was bitter, and if you mixed it with, uh, with wine, the women in Jerusalem would mix it as a narcotic offered to people who were going to be crucified. It was a compassionate way to drug the terrible pain of, persecu- of execution. So it says in Mark 15, when Jesus was crucified, that they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it, and they crucified him. Jesus refused this cocktail of wine and myrrh because he he wanted his mind clear throughout the whole ordeal of dying on the cross for you and for me. He wasn't there accidentally. He was there intentionally to pay the price for you and for me. He was offering that himself as a gift for us. So besides anointing and perfume and narcotic, it was also used for embalming because Myrrh has a certain smell about it that helps take away the stench of death. And so when the Jews would, um, and they weren't the only ones that would use it, but uh, they would uh, wrap a body in uh, a cloth, and then they would put myrrh in with the person. In other words, even about Jesus in John 19, it says that Nicodemus also had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing, this is right after Jesus died, he came bringing myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So for most ancient societies, there's this lasting connection between myrrh and death. Why would you give a little baby boy a symbol of death? Because Jesus was born to be the Savior, and he came to save us from disastrous consequences of sin. And that meant that he had to die to be able to accomplish that task. So the Son of God left heaven for earth, and he's conceived by the Virgin Mary and born in Bethlehem in order to die on the cross for your sin and for mine. Jesus was the child destined by God and motivated by his own love to choose to step up and die so that we could live forever. So the bitter taste of myrrh is a prophecy of his bitter death on the cross. And the smell of myrrh was a prediction of the grave where his body was laid. So the gold is a gift for a king. The frankincense is a gift for a priest. And the myrrh is a gift fit for a savior. The gold pointed to the throne. The frankincense pointed to the altar, but the myrrh pointed to the grave. So how is myrrh a gift of joy? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Jesus has so much joy when he looks past the cross and all of that suffering and he looks to heaven and he looks to being in a relationship with you. He loves you so much. The joy is having those that he loves live with him in heaven forever. And that's why it's a time of joy because it's great sacrifice for Christ and he's willing to go through that because he loves you so much. Let's pause and pray for a moment, shall we? Dear God, I thank you that you love us so much, that you would give your only son, that he was given a gift of myrrh that basically says you came to this earth to die so that we might live. May we truly live for you. Amen. Matthew chapter 2 is the story of the kings and asking where is he who's been born king of the Jews. We've seen his star in the east have come to worship him. So the kings or the wise men or the magi. Luke chapter 2 is the story of the angels bursting in on the shepherds uh, one night and um, Jesus being born in Bethlehem. It goes like this. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there is no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same region some shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. You know, I've had fun with this screen because along the hillside there in Bethlehem, they have, there's caves. There's not a lot of trees, but there's caves. And so often they'll pull all the sheep into a cave. Well, it kind of looks like the arch that we've had on the you know, from the, 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 the way the decorations are here, it kind of looks like you're sitting in a cave looking out at the sky. And it would look like what they had seen. And then all of a sudden, all these angels burst into the sky. And they say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there's with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying... Okay, you be the heavenly host. Ready? Praising God and saying... Glory to God in the, come on, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Do you want to practice your part one more time? And, and okay, get ready. And the, it, suddenly there's a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Excellent. See, we have some unique angels. This is such good news, and that's why we're celebrating today, that Jesus is our Savior. He's better than any prophet. He is the Word of God. He's better than any priest. He is the high priest. He is our advocate with God. He's better than any king. He's God, and He's our Savior, Christ the Lord. Now, saviors, by definition, do one thing. They save people. They save people. I mean, life is on a certain path that's headed toward a cliff, and the hero, the Savior, uh, steps in and transforms the situation, um, changes, things, uh, changes things from certain disaster to guaranteed delight. And Jesus saves us. He saved us from what? He saved us from sin. He saved us from the punishment that we deserve. He saved us from eternal separation from God. You don't have to spend eternity separated from God because Jesus is offered 
himself as a savior. And Jesus saved us by what? By God's grace alone. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. We were saved by Jesus' death and his resurrection alone. But we also were saved by our faith in him alone. We can't add anything. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to make our salvation better or more complete. Jesus saved us for what? For himself. He saved us to bring glory to God. And we bring glory to God by loving Jesus ourselves and celebrating him as our Savior like we do today. We also bring glory to God by loving others and by meeting people's needs in the name of Jesus. We've had people every day this week come in and say, I need help. And because of your generosity and faithfulness, we've been able to say, we can help answer your prayer and help to meet them at their point of need and tell them about Jesus. So we bring glory to God by meeting people's needs in Jesus' name and by sharing Jesus' story of love and by inviting others to walk the Jesus way. It says, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's the baby born in Bethlehem, came to be our Savior. So remember, we... We bring glory to God by loving Jesus and celebrating him as our Savior. And we also bring glory to God by meeting other people's needs and by sharing Jesus' story of love with them and, and, and by inviting them to walk the Jesus way. I mean, there's a man here in our church named Paul Eshelman. And one day, Jesus became his Savior. He invited Jesus into his heart and into his life. And he grew up as a Christian, and he's reading the Bible. And Jesus tells his followers in the Bible right before he goes back to heaven, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. It has fueled the church for 2,000 years with passion that says we've got to send missionaries. We've got to tell people about Jesus. We've got to get the word out. People need the Lord. And they just have to hear it. And Paul had been forgiven by Jesus, and he's been saved. And his life has been blessed by Jesus Christ. What better way could you spend your life, he thinks, than to tell everybody about Jesus? And here Jesus had given this great commission 2,000 years ago, go make disciples of all nations. Well, nations aren't just like we draw them up like the United Nations. I mean, there are people groups that, where I grew up, like in Nigeria, they have three major languages, 228 dialects, and three major tribes. So there's is more than one nation of people within that one country. And so Paul began to, he started a project to tell the story of Jesus. How do I get the whole world to hear about Jesus? Hey, I'll make a movie. And so he put together a movie using the book of Luke as the text, telling the story of Jesus, of his life, of his loves, of his death, of his resurrection, of, and, um, and it's called the Jesus Film. Now, the Jesus Film has been translated into more languages than any other movie in the history of the world. And the people hear the, see the movie, and when they can hear it in their own language, there's a higher levels of response of people saying, I just got to have that Jesus for myself. And uh, so... 
It tells the story. People need the Lord. They need the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. We just have to tell them. And so we're passionate about that as a church. How do we help get the good news out there? So Paul began, uh, did, began to track every people group in the world. And the first time I saw him, he happened to say, he says, did you know that we have, there's about 2,500 people groups in the world? And there's 587 unreached, unengaged people groups left in the world. So what are we talking about? He says, groups of people that speak the same language, that have the same culture uh, with each other, and uh, they're unengaged. That means there's nobody in their whole entire group that is a Christian. There's nobody in their group that goes to church. There's nobody in their group that has a Bible. There's nobody in their group that's been baptized, and there's nobody trying to reach them. And he's identified 587 groups like that. And so he mapped out every unengaged people group in the world, and he was asking individuals or churches, would you adopt one of these groups? Then the idea is they would take uh, the, the money that the people would give, a certain amount, would go into translating the book of Luke into that language. So it would be the first piece of Scripture in that language. Then it would be dubbed into the, uh, the movie. He would hire two people to go as evangelists to go talk to that group and share Jesus with them, show them the movie. The ones that became Christians, they would gather into churches. The strongest person in that group, they'd say, you're the pastor. And when they got enough strength in those groups, then they'd invite people from South Shores to come visit. So uh, we, uh, we uh, said, well, we want to be involved in this. And um, so here we are trying to get our, a building built, and it's expensive, and it's complicated, and the... Um, Oh, you know, we're, we're asking, before we began to ask people to give to our building project, we said, well, what about we adopt two of these people groups? Where should we do it, Paul? And he said, well, the place in the world that seems to have one of the highest concentrations of groups that are unreached is Nepal. So he said, well, give us two groups from Nepal. Help us pick them out. So each of these groups, I said, we could afford two. He says, why are you picking two? I said, well, that's all we can afford, number one. And number two, if one group, if we picked a group and it failed, then we have a second group to rely on to tell a story. You know what I'm saying? A good story. So we picked two. Well, Paul has gone on to get hundreds of these other groups, the 585 unreached people groups, connected with somebody and engaged, and he's run conferences on finishing the task, and he's teamed up with, uh, you know, I mean, Paul is a BTO, a big-time operator, right? So he's teamed up with people like Rick Warren and Ron Klein and others who can do a lot, but Paul is part of South Shore's church, and I think we're his favorites, so, uh, no, I'm, I wasn't kidding. So he goes around the world uh, talking to people about uh, taking one of these unreached people groups, but he's kept his eye on these two little groups in Nepal that he helped us to choose. Each one has 29 or 30,000 people in that group. And so he recently traveled to Nepal, and so he checked on our two groups. And he, he met with some of the workers that the Lord has raised up to go reach the two groups that uh, we selected. Now, these, these are all up in the mountains in the Himalayas. The people who live there are farmers, and um, uh, there's no Bibles, there's no churches, there's no believers. But the reports that we've been getting from our workers that have gone there it's outstanding. I mean, these people are just farmers and laborers, but they've been trained to teach people, tell people in evangelism, tell them about the good news of Jesus and do some church planting. So I have a picture of the, the workers from the Kayort people group. 
Okay, that's Paul on the left, okay? He's from here. And these are the, the workers that uh, we've hired. And uh, they've gone out as missionaries to the Kaort group. And they're kind of waiting for the Bible to be translated into the Kaort language. But they didn't wait. So they've individually shared their Christian faith, and they went and they've prayed for the people who were sick, and they've seen some people get healed, and that's caught people's attention. And they've started Bible studies in the homes of men and women of peace who'd say, well, I'm not a Christian, but you can have a study in my home. And they've showed the Jesus film in the Nepali language, not in the Kaort language because it hasn't been translated yet. But it, so it'd be like if you were seeing the Jesus film, say, in Spanish, and you could catch at least some of the words. Some of you would be very good. Some of us would be rather limited. But um, they've been sharing it. Well, these two workers in the last year and a half have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with 760 individual people. How, how have you been doing? How many people have, you know, as you look back this last year, would there be seven? Would there be six? You know what I'm saying? 760. And 20 of those people have said, yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior. So through their efforts, there are 20 people now who are believers in Christ and we will see them in heaven. They've gathered them into three fellowships. They're like small groups that are going to, there's basically baby churches in the process of getting started. So about seven people per group. I mean, I'm at, you just say, praise God. Through your faith and your generosity and participating with other people, 20 other people are now going to be in heaven. That's, isn't that worth praising God? So for the other group, here's Paul with the Demal people. Okay, he's still the one on the left. And, you know, about a year and a half ago is when uh, we sponsored them and we're wanting to get the Bible translated into their language, the book of Luke, so it can be in the Jesus film. But these guys are evangelists. They're not translators. They haven't waited. They've gone and started talking to people, just telling them about Jesus. And so these three workers in the last year and a half have talked to 3,000 people about the gospel. I mean, significant conversations about Jesus. And 95 people have said, yes, Jesus, please come in my heart and be my Savior. And so they've gathered them into three groups, one group of eight, one group of 32, and one group of 55. In fact, the group of 55 has already pooled its resources and built a small building so they have a, house, a, a church to worship in. 95 more people, praise God, yeah. I mean... We might have to do some church planting right here in Orange County at some point. It is a very effective way to win new people to Christ and to see them grow. So just, just an idea. I know we're in expensive projects right now, but here God is using our efforts in this generosity that we gave. I mean, God wants for them exactly what he wants for you and for me. He wants Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world and in their heart. And over 100 people now between these two groups. And so while we're giving and praying, they're walking and talking about Jesus. And Paul is telling the story, and he's watching it, and he's going all over the world. And Paul is kind of like an over-eager flea on a dog. You know what I'm saying? He just keeps after it and keeps after it and keeps after it. So I talked with Paul last week, and he shared. And he says, i got to tell you what your two teams have done. Now... I believe it, this, the, a concept I want to explain to you. You go, I couldn't do very much for Jesus Christ. Yeah, but if you do your little part, God can use that. Somebody else will see it, and you're an example to somebody else, and you, your gift or your telling the story motivates other people to do the same. I believe in this. We can't do much, but God will use our gift in ways that we can't predict. So here we gave a, a, a chunk of change so that these two 
people groups could hear about Jesus and have the Bible translated. And Paul is watching it, and he's going all over the world. And so last May, he's in Kentucky, of all places, with a group of business leaders, and he tells them the story. He says, you know, there's this church in California. They have this humongous building project they're trying to do. It's long, and it's complicated, and it's expensive. But before they even raised the funds for their own, they raised money to go for these two people groups in Nepal because they want people to hear about Jesus. And those business leaders looked at him and said, well, are there other groups in Nepal that we could adopt? And Paul said, yeah, there's 55 more groups in Nepal of unreached people groups. Guess what they did? Those business leaders in Kentucky looked at us as an example and said, well, if they could do it, we could do something. Tell you what, Paul, we will adopt all 55 remaining unreached people groups in Nepal. And they did. They raised... They raised $1.1 million to cover the costs for two workers to go to every one of those and to have the, the Bible of the book of Luke translated so the Jesus film could be used. And by the middle of January this year, there will be teams in every, every one of the 57 unreached people groups in, in, in Nepal. I guess they won't be unreached anymore, will they? And we'll have to, it's kind of like the blind man in John 9. Once he was healed, what do you call him? You know, you know, he's the blind man that was healed. You know, he can see now. And these people will be reached people groups. And, and here, it, it just started with us saying, yes, we're responding because people need the Lord. They need the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. We got to tell the story.
Paul's never going to be a Hollywood movie star. But when we get to heaven, I think he's going to be one of the celebrities that said, you know what, I just wanted everybody in the world to know. I wanted to finish what Jesus told us to do 2,000 years ago. Won't you help me? Won't you tell the story? And I think it's awesome that God would send Jesus into the world to be our Savior. And it's awesome that he would say uh, that, that I had a chance to hear about Jesus. I, isn't it wonderful that you had a chance that somebody told you about Jesus? And that it's, it's great that people of faith could claim a verse and give a gift and send a prayer and say, God, use this somehow. And seeds were planted in ground that was hard and dry, but it's flourishing and it's bearing fruit, and God is blessing the efforts that we have. Can, I mean, can you imagine any gift under your tree that's going to bring you that much joy as knowing that you gave something and you prayed for something that God blessed that's going to change somebody's eternity? They're going to spend time with God forever because of what you've given. I mean, giving your heart to Jesus is the best thing you can do if you never have and sharing the love of Christ with somebody so that you make a difference to give a gift that will change a person's life forever. And now relax, we've already taken the offering, you know what I'm saying? We're just celebrating this together that we, we, we gave something by faith and we asked and God has blessed it and he's using it and we're celebrating Jesus. Happy birthday, Jesus. Thanks to you, Jesus, we are happy too. For unto us a Savior is born. Let's stand and sing joy to the world, shall we?